0: Tim, Emily, it is great to have you on. I think this is going to be one of the most exciting conversations because we've never had an investor on the show. Uh, So you guys are going to be the first. And I think it's going to be extremely exciting, especially given Wesley Group's uh, previous history and portfolio of companies and uh, each of your individual's experiences. Um, But I don't want to butcher around uh, your guys' backgrounds, so I'd love for both of you to give a quick background, and uh, we'll jump into a couple of questions.
1: Great to be on today. Excited to talk a little bit about Wesley Group and what we're seeing from our vantage point at our firm. A little bit on me. I'm a principal at the Wesley Group. Uh, I have been working in energy and climate for the last decade. Started my career working in the Obama administration, worked for Secretary Moniz, worked as the Chief of Staff at the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Energy, which is sort of like a DARPA for energy, funding energy startups and research, and then was in the Obama White House uh, helping run energy and climate initiatives. I then moved out to San Francisco, and I was helping run a seed fund called Powerhouse, uh, an incubator in Oakland, Uh, and then uh, joined up at the WESTA Group about two years ago
0: okay so small world powerhouse i'm, I'm very familiar with them <laughs> so that's awesome It is. And Tim, it is what about yourself? Small world.
2: yeah so um my background actually I, I studied environmental studies in college but then I actually went into finance and actually worked at a couple of tech startups uh doing kind of fintech in new york and then i actually moved to hong kong back in 2008 where i launched the business for that company but then also did a startup trying to do kind of a bloomberg for china And so I was really on the operator side, um, having raised capital. Moody's, the big kind of ratings agency, was our Series A investor. And then really after that experience, I went back to business school wanting to do venture. And the whole point was, can I help other people avoid the mistakes I made? Uh, And so I was really lucky and fortunate. Um, I was actually the summer intern at the firm here at the Wesley Group, where I'm now a managing partner of. Uh, It's been since 2015, and it's been a blessing to kind of both bring the investor side that you know i really wanted to do and focus in on but also do the sustainability kind of energy mobility investments that we're able to make
0: okay so you you have a very interesting story just from the fact that you went from an intern to now you're the managing partner at wesley group so that's 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 a jump that i'm sure will inspire a lot of aspiring fund managers now folks folks
2: ask well is there like a path from an internship to a job i said there is you know it's happened it's happened before
0: they're, they're far and few between, but, but it's sure. impressive yeah, to see that, that kind of a jump. <laughs> but um, yeah, so like the, the core focus of what I'm sure everyone in the audience wants to listen to, and I think both of you can bring really deep insight into, Emily specifically from an energy climate perspective very deeply, and then Tim from you having seen and scaled companies before, um, we want to focus around growth for today's show. We really want to understand what you guys have seen given the wesley group gets involved with companies at basically the stage where they've gotten some form of product market fit and now they're ready to put put the pedal to the metal and and really scale and naturally that's when either these companies fizzle out burn out and crash (laughs) or they grow and they become the next big thing Um, most notably for everyone tesla being one of those portfolio companies So I'd love to kick it off and just kind of leave it out to you guys. On the side of growth, what are the general things that you've seen across your portfolio companies working with each of these founders and the successful ones? What are those key indicators that you've typically seen in your time at Wesley that have led you to believe that, hey, these are the core foundational building blocks of being able to actually grow a company from that Series A stage? And more specifically, moving into climate, which, Emily, I'm sure you'll be able to give much more insight on as well.
2: Sure. Uh, i am happy to start with some of it. I think, you know, from a high level, we're obviously always trying to invest, you know, post-revenue, right? The company's already shown some product market fit, like you've said. I think from our perspective, we're also trying to understand, do they have a, a sales cycle that's repeatable, right? A sales process that's repeatable and scalable. Those are a lot of the core items that we're looking for, right? Especially when you invest the series A and B, you're starting to look at, you know, sales metrics, you know, know, lifetime value of a customer, your customer acquisition costs. These are the things we really expect, you know, the founding and leadership team to have a good grasp and understanding of, and we really wanna see repeatability there. Those are the key kind of things that at least I look for uh, when we talk to founders.
0: So on that kind of repeatability front, Is it more of, okay, if my customer acquisition cost is lower than the lifetime value in this case, regardless of the type of company you invest in, is it very much a simple idea of, if I give $10 million and we can acquire customers at $10, but they net us a hundred, it's just gonna scale with that kind of capital being flowed just linearly, though it's never like that? How are you thinking about it in more depth? Like, what is it about a company? Because I'm sure there's plenty of companies you've seen which have those good metrics that end up fizzling yeah. out and burning. What are those things that you've noticed?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, from a, from a high-level standpoint, it's, it's not only the LTV to CAC ratio. I think we're also looking for average contract size, right? And we're trying hmm. to see, is this a $10,000 recurring contract? Uh, Or is this a multi-hundred, you know, $200,000, $500,000 contract? I think we're also looking at that pace and win rate, right, close rate of customers. I think what you're asking for and thinking about is that linear, we'd like to see some linear growth, but in all honesty, we're trying to look for, you know, um, extremely quick growth, right? We're trying to look for that hockey stick all the time and exponential growth. And so, you know, those are harder to find, and we're trying to time it, right? So our job is really to identify that inflection point. You know when are they going from 10 customers to 30 in a year or you know 30 to 100 customers in a year and those are the things that we're always trying to identify and when we look at the pipeline we're looking at pipeline coverage you know if you're projecting you have you know 5 million of revenues this year do you have at least 15 20 25 million in pipeline to justify that projection so those are a lot of the key metrics that we're looking at as well
0: so in terms of like pipeline uh i'll, I'll jump right to you But in terms of like pipeline is that very much on the side of just generally if it's a big padded pipeline you have a high close rate are there certain things that the founders are doing or these companies and this leadership is doing that makes it stand out when you're deciding between two separate companies is there like a distinction there Go ahead, Emily.
1: Yeah, and I think that, that gets beyond the there's there's metrics and we invest in a lot of software, so there's certainly you know best in class SaaS metrics that a lot of investors will look at, but you know, beyond that, it's also trying to get to know teams and understand their ability to execute, right? And so Tim is sort of hitting on a point, which is as you get from the series A to the B, uh, have you invested or are you capable of building a Scalable operations, you know, and so something that we see a lot of companies uh, struggle or do well, which can really determine their success, is building a global sales team uh, with strong sales talent uh, with best in class sales efficiency that, you know, certainly can hit on these metrics. Uh, also, building a sales ops team. Uh, and a layer of operations, whether it's HR, whether it's a product that can, you know, where you start taking responsibilities from the founders, and the CEO, and some of those initial team members, and building a middle uh, layer of strong talent that can own those functions. And, uh, you know, it, and add a robustness to the company.
0: It almost feels like recruiting is a key element to actually justifying if that scale is possible.
2: A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for
1: sure.
2: From the series A to series B, right. We're we're dealing with this with several of our companies where, you know, traditionally you're going to see an entrepreneur say, Hey, we're going to go from one to 10 million and more likely than not, you never hit your projections. And so when (laughs) going back to your question of if you're looking at two companies, what are you going to look at? It's who's, predicting their revenues and sales forecast and who's hitting their marks, right? And the closer you are to your projection, obviously that's where we are, are gonna probably put our dollars to work. And that's very difficult to do, right? And, and you have to get a solid team around sales forecasting, sales pipeline, but also closing deals, right? And I think um, that's very important. It's not just the CEO, it's not the COO or even VP of sales. Sometimes it's your kind of card count quota you know, salespeople are they executing at, at a higher level and and predicting that ability to close? I think that's really important for us.
0: That's
1: actually yeah, really and there, it's, it's a funny kind of misnomer in venture, which is like, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs go out in when they're pitching for money, they they think they just have to, you know, create a case to that hockey stick growth, and certainly you do have to make the case for a high growth uh, venture like company. That being said, I think some entrepreneurs run into an issue of picking arbitrary forecasts and then, you know, when someone invests, you have to make those forecasts, right? So there's there's a difference. You know, I think most investors actually want a realistic expectation of growth, understanding what it takes to start to enable venture growth as opposed to unrealistic expectations that you're never going to meet.
0: So you mean I can't scale my company from a million to 20 million in revenue in a year?
1: (laughs) Some people do that, but it's few and far between. It's possible. Yeah,
2: it's possible. It's just, you know, not likely.
0: So I need to build a plan around that, but um, um, I guess then digging into like a climate front, because like, I, I always run into this disconnect, right? Because you see SaaS companies or just software companies in general, forget SaaS, growth is ridiculous, or at least on paper, it looks ridiculous with the amount of customers that they acquire and their revenues just skyrocket. Naturally, we're on a climate-focused podcast, so we're gonna kind of switch that kind of focus there. What what differences do you see? Because typically with climate, there is usually some kind of hardware involved. And the funny thing about like AI, at least from my experience is, it's more services oriented and tailoring than a traditional SaaS company as well. So even in that bucket where you have climate AI companies and you have hardware focused companies, how does that framework suddenly change when you guys are approaching making that investment? Because I know you guys just announced your, I guess, uh, fifth fund and it's fully focused on climate.
2: Yeah, we announced our fourth venture fund. Uh, It's a $300 million fund. Uh, You know, we've been around since 2007. So for us, you know, We've been there kind of since Cleantech 1.0, and to kind of get to grow and actually get a larger fund this time around to kind of tackle climate is has been a great kind of uh, thing for us and the team.
1: And we focus a little bit just to clarify, too, on what we focus on. We focus on energy, mobility, industrial technology, buildings and cybersecurity. So climate decarbonization and sustainability is a huge part of that strategy. It's in the DNA of the firm we're also looking a little broader at horizontal enterprise SaaS and sort of other business models within any of those sectors are of interest for us. So
0: almost yeah, all I think difficult to key... scale
1: industries.
2: Yeah, <laughs> essentially, essentially, yeah, longer sales cycles, right? I think one of the key things that we're also trying to tackle, though, is, you know, it's not necessarily the, the solar panel, right, that's gonna keep on going down in price, hopefully, you know, without the semiconductor issues and ship shortages. But Our goals are trying to find platforms that reduce friction in deployment of all these assets right so ev chargers evs themselves battery stores right if we can identify companies that gets these assets in people's homes office buildings wherever they may be we want to invest in those companies so that could be a fintech opportunity right it could be around financing Hmm. right because right now these are very expensive to get in people's homes or office buildings but if i can make this no money down very small payments, I've just enabled the vast long tail of people in this country, this world to access clean energy, right? So those are the types of things we're trying to identify as well.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I think I think that's a great distinction, because you kind of rightfully point out that uh, climate companies, especially ones that are going after decarbonizing really difficult things like uh, industrial environments. Uh, are not your traditional venture investment, and I think as a firm we have decided to focus more on those enabling technologies, uh, business models in the values and services and software and digitization of climate and these industries we invest in, as opposed to investing in materials technology or CCUS or hydrogen or you know kind of name your category. And there's some funds out there that are funding that stuff and they've created a model that's probably more appropriate in uh, time frames that are mo- more appropriate for those types of companies which is much needed uh you know to meet our clinicals
0: so i mean to, to loop it back to that scalability question especially your background emily having basically worked energy climate i'd say for for a decent part of it And having the background of venture makes you a very interesting person to ask this question to. How does the scaling function or what are the growth approaches that you see in climate or in general these hard to scale, as Tim mentioned, longer sales cycle companies that really stick out to you that differ from the traditional kind of knowledge base that's put out there from software engineers and SaaS founders that have made it big?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, there's there's two growth, different o- growth obstacles, depending on the company. If you're a hardware company, obviously your growth obstacle is that you spend, you know, sometimes six to 10 years just getting the product to be commercially ready, right? So it's a very different growth challenge. And for those types of founders, we are, uh, you know, we're not as, as likely to invest in those companies, but a huge part of de-risking those companies and enabling scalable growth is just getting to the point of, manufacturing at scale, right? And a lot of that is just uh, pure execution, but also the capacity to raise money and de-risk the business model in a company uh, by being able to have, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars to get to that point, right? Um, so, you know, that that's kind of that category. I think on the, the software side, you know, a lot of the things we've already talked about, which is, uh, there there are actually business models that are direct to consumer or going after middle market that don't run into some of these uh, scalability issues as much because the sales cycles are shorter, billing and payments are easier, etc. But for companies that are focused on selling like into the industries we invest in, which are large enterprises, you know, in a, in a way they have to uh, do a lot of work to create a not bespoke product, but a, um, a really standard product and offering. Um, find a way to, uh, you know, uh, quicken the cycle for billing and payments, getting through procurement and contracting. And, you know, third, they just need giant pipelines, pipeline coverage, which Tim alluded to, which is like, you're going to need far more pipeline coverage to meet those venture growth metrics. If your sales cycles are longer and you're having to work to get contracts through large enterprises, which are you know, always a bit slower.
0: Okay. So then yeah. I see like two big things here, just to like kind of repeat that back to myself here. If you're a hard tech founder in the climate space broadly, the biggest takeaway is if that founder is able to justify raising the hundreds of millions required to get the price point down so that you can actually fulfill that i imagine there's an interesting tesla story there probably also and with the other portfolio companies you guys have as well i'm sure there's some interesting tidbits tim since you've been along for a while could you dive into that and then we'll jump back over to the ai and services side
2: yeah happy to i think you know the 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 standing joke is that you know yes we are focused on climate and capital efficient models but one of our biggest winners that's a multi-trillion dollar business is uh you know, is Tesla. And so that's a very hardware, very capital intense and lower gross margin business. But I would say probably three points that we look for in these businesses. One is, you know, are you still getting better than average gross margins compared to the rest of the industry? And if you look at Tesla, you know, compared to other OEMs out there, they are getting by far and away better gross margins day in and day out, right? (laughs) So if you're looking at kind of best in class, they are beating out all the other OEMs in the world. And so that helps stake their claim, number one. Number two, I would say, you know, do you have a product that is far and away better than anything else in the market? And so obviously we're kind of biased. We think Tesla is great in that regard. Another case and example is Luminar. So Luminar, you may not think is a climate, you know, enabled company, but really they're enabling autonomy. Right. And we kind of assume all autonomous vehicles are gonna be electric. So we really wanted to hone in on that company. And while we looked at, you know, hundreds of different LiDAR companies, by far and away, they had the best product out there. And so if you see them out today, not that they're public, they have the highest market cap of any other you know, competitor in the market, and they're winning you know, production, series production contracts. Um, and then third, as Emily mentioned, really is that capital raising. So you know, with Tesla, it wasn't always easy. I think people now know, you know they had a couple of moments where they were on the edge of you know, being done for, and luckily, you, know, you needed some serious capital, both strategic capital, but also government funding to really get that company over the line. Um, and you know, with Luminar, we were able to raise a very strong Series A back in 2019 when it was needed. Uh, and so I think it's on to the CEO and the co-founding team to be able to raise capital to not only keep your sales momentum going, but to also prove out the manufacturing and your bomb costs that it can continue to go down. Right, and then there are some data points around that, especially with Luminar, from the first you know lidar sensors down to what you will see in vehicles starting later this year and next year, is a huge cost down curve when it comes to those sensors. That's
0: actually really fascinating. So the the two things that I've never heard of, or typically don't hear about, is the gross margin analysis point for hardware companies, and then the third one, which I think is talked about far and few between is looking at other non-traditional at this point. Anything not venture is considered non-traditional, it feels like. And it's being able to raise from grant funding sources, government funding, maybe even finding customer funding avenues and such. How often did you see that with the hardware companies in your guys' portfolio, where they had to tap into alternative sources of capital to get to that stage where, I'm going to just say $100 is the arbitrary number that makes it, but... That's for conversation well i think
1: the, the story that's well well told is i think tim was referring to tesla which is a, a, that tesla had a loan guarantee through the department of energy which was really critical in and support of the company at a, in an inflection point that really mattered i would say it's a mixed bag I, I don't know that we're saying every single hardware company needs government support but i i think especially having worked in the government and seeing the role they play that non diluted funding can be a great complement to raising private funding, but I think you know your point is so well taken, which is there's venture capital, which is uh, one you know one aspect of funding a company, and there's also increasingly other vehicles for financing, especially uh, especially on the project finance and debt side, that we're seeing utilized more often for companies with an infrastructure or uh, project focus. And I think that's a great opportunity for a lot of climate companies.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, if you think about it historically, back in 2006, 7, eight, you know, really venture investors were, the burden was on them to be able to fund all these different climate opportunities, right? From batteries to vehicles to whatever, you name it. I think that that pool of capital has changed drastically over the past 15 years, We're now You're getting a lot of the big mutual funds, a lot of the big banks. Everyone's coming in. They know that this is profitable. They know that the cost down curves are there. They know that there is strong demand now in the market. That also wasn't really available back 15 years ago. Now there's huge demand for EVs, a lot of demand for solar and batteries. And so that has really changed the dynamics of funding when it comes to climate
0: companies. And and that, I think, kind of carries over just because, like, you see... Because like even in terms of like alternative funding beyond debt, it, it almost seems like there's a consolidation kind of effort going on in the climate space, at least in energy specifically. Um, like I mean, you see the formation of Uplight, which I, I don't I, I don't remember how many companies formed Uplight, but it was just a bunch, and I think one of those companies was even a portfolio company. Um, Tim, I think right. you led that deal. Um, yeah. Is there is there also? a twist there where companies after raising their Series A realized that the way we hit those hockey stick growth curves is by joining forces and turning into behemoths 2.0. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think so. Yeah. So our original investment was in a company called Simple Energy, which was based in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and so, you know, it was certainly one of these instances where we knew they had uh, something special they were doing and providing customer engagement for utilities, right? And so... One of the key things that we've noted over the time is that, you know, utilities and customers in general like to buy from a company that has multiple products, and so this was a really good case in point where doing a roll-up strategy via private equity funds um, really enabled this company, you know, Uplight to really provide multiple products and services to utilities in one-stop shop. And i think that was a really good avenue for that company in that rollup. we're seeing this happen in multiple industries so not just in energy we're seeing this across water we're seeing this across other you know sectors as well um but it really was one plus one equals three and it was a really good case study in seeing that happen
0: here and is that something you guys think about at like the series a stage saying like hey you know a sales ops team is probably not the best play here um, for them to hit those hockey stick metrics. But if they go partner with my friend founder over here and this becomes a, another product in their portfolio or feature set of their offering, then those revenue metrics become suddenly realistic. Is that something you guys are actively thinking about alongside the founder? Or do you love it when you know founders may come to you saying like, here are the three different options that we have available to us to get to those revenue metrics that we're talking about, like how how do you guys typically open that conversation? Because it almost feels like every pitch deck you guys probably see, typically just says, "Here's how we're gonna take the millions you're giving us now. We're gonna hire a big team and scale it to the moon."
1: Yeah, I think what you're alluding to is partnership strategy. So there's just you know, sh- a, like sheer force around a, a sales operations, and then there's other um, other channels for building revenue. I think. We certainly work side by side with our portfolio companies on defining uh, partnership strategies, different interesting channels for uh, you know, for their sales teams and in uh, getting creative without unintentionally kind of hemorrhaging the business in another way because you you partner with someone and then take revenue from another part of your business, which we've seen some founders pursue. Um, So that's definitely uh, where we like to help. And I think we also, we really pride ourselves on rolling our sleeves up and being a part of these business development and sales teams and creating a lot of business and commercial opportunities. Our fund has strategically brought in 20 of the world's largest energy and mobility and industrial companies into the fund. So big utilities like Duke, AEP, Dominion, mobility companies like Audi, Bridgestone, Alaska Airlines, uh, two large specialty vehicle companies, and then industrials like ABB. And so we are opening these doors to these contracts. But then, of course, in addition to that, advising around channel and partnership strategy and other um, other ways to drive our video growth.
0: Okay, so then I think that that's a perfect segue because I imagine when... You start to flip over to the software side with ai companies and it seems like almost there's this like emerging cryptos no longer i would consider emerging at this point people know of it but this kind mm-hmm. of marriage between crypto companies and software companies focused on climate or ai companies that now suddenly have blockchain in them usually the joke is it's just to raise capital but I'm sure there's more depth there. Is there something that you could share from your experience, Emily, uh, given that's a area of interest to you that tells you, hey, this is why climate, crypto, or these SaaS companies are really exciting at this day and age and need the capital to scale, and what makes these things unique as it relates to the hardware approach, which Tim outlined those three carriers of gross margin, better product, and, unique fundraising strategies
1: yeah we always see you know we always hear a lot of pitches with buzzwords which is kind of what you're you're talking about whether it's machine learning ai blockchain um and so part of our job is to discern what is actually going on and what is real and what is a good use case for those technologies and there's a lot of interesting companies that are popping up in this climate web three space i think is now how people are coining the that area of interest and you know some are uh you know maybe further out which are thinking about how you better transact carbon markets using blockchain technologies or cryptocurrency Um, we have actually made an investment in this sort of web3 space uh, what we think is a near-term market opportunity it's in a company called circular based in London. They're focused on providing supply chain traceability
0: Hmm. from the
1: mine all the way through manufacturing of a product for industrials with a big emphasis around battery metals and commodities that are driving the EV and electric revolutions. Hmm. So they're doing traceability for copper, nickel, lithium, cobalt, and then they're also layering on the ability to do scope one two and three emissions accounting for those supply chains and the reporting capacity to report on especially those scope three emissions which are really hard to narrow in on so that is our investment in that space as of now um are because they're using blockchain as one in an entire stack of technologies to do the verification and certification but i think Uh, you know, I think some of those companies are super interesting, we're excited to continue evaluating that space. But the real question there is just, uh, you know, what are near term use cases for those types of technologies? And what are use cases that might be a further time horizon out in terms of market readiness?
0: Got it. So that's, that's actually really interesting, because it's a clever use for blockchain in terms of transparency. I mean, I, I think the thing that I get really fascinated by in that kind of front is I imagine a lot of enterprises are not ready or prepared to really adopt these kind of frontier solutions. Even AI kind of feels like something that is still difficult to push through the enterprise. Like, what are what are the different kind of strategies or foundational building blocks you see founders doing at that Series A or that growth level that differ from hardware companies mm-hmm. traditionally with web three climate uh businesses or just climate ai type companies and the like
1: yeah it's a great point point. one thing we've seen um is that for companies a lot of companies like that there's this educational process and that can uh it's not to say they're not willing buyers but they may take a, a longer time in length in your sales cycle and so we've seen some interesting strategies there so that companies don't have to take on that ex- educational period um, you know, uh, a few companies have worked with consulting firms or channel partners to basically do that education mm-hmm. on their behalf. So if they get inbounds for companies that want to adopt a solution but are not quite ready. They don't know where to start. They will work with those partners to offload some of those services and then you know ha- uh, those customers often return to w- once they're ready and willing to buy. So that's that's something interesting we've seen. But Tim, what other thoughts
2: do you have? Yeah, I think, you know, from what we've seen, both I'm speaking to the AI kind of world of companies, but also kind of blockchain related. I think a lot of it's going to be that use case. It's going to be that POC process. And it's about showing value as soon as a few days. Right. If you can, if it takes six months to provide value and do a case study and run the analytics, you've taken too long for a customer. And so one of the unique things we saw in one of our other companies called Optimal Dynamics, they help with middle mile trucking logistics, right? So we've heard nothing but supply chain logistics the last few years now uh, because of COVID. And you're talking about a very sleepy industry that wasn't really ready to change or adopt AI. But when you've got a huge constraint uh, with a shortage of drivers and you've got supply chain issues, well, they're willing to pay, but you've got to show me real value in a number of days. And that's what this company was able to do. They had POCs that ran for 30 days, which is still relatively quick. But you know, within a few months, they were able to narrow that down to about a week. And if you're able to kind of provide value at a high level to customers, you're gonna see that kind of flywheel go faster. And I think that's what we really wanna see across a lot of our companies is, how can you provide value sooner and get faster to market for these companies? And then that means faster implementation times at the end of the day. Right. I think the knock on a lot of these companies has been you sign a contract, but it takes you three, six, 12 months to fully integrate and get paid. And so faster time to market is really the key here for, you know, a lot of growth of these companies.
0: That's okay. So that's really interesting because like you always hear that with at least seed stage companies, you run into that challenge where POC is, or any kind of innovation department you work with corporates. You're going to join pilot hell, and your company stands a good chance of dying at that stage. But it really seems like that actually is a, because it's very difficult to sometimes get corporates to commit to do follow-on projects and contracts with you and scale it within their organization, unless that POC goes really well. Have you guys seen certain methods that have made these modern-day software companies or enterprise software companies that are serving these antiquated industries, we'll put it that way. that that have made it possible for them to deliver value and are there any studies or like specific experiences you guys have seen amongst your portfolio where you could highlight a storyline going like, "Hey, here's how company blah actually shortened their POC process to show value quicker and that's what was the unlock for them." Because I think that could be a really good learning lesson.
2: Sure, I'll, I'll just give you that one example of optimal dynamics. Here was a company that was doing 30-day POCs, and I think the aha was probably you know one of two things. One was, how can I streamline the data needed from the client side? That's usually half the battle, right? Which is, A, company X, you got to give me that data first, then i got to run it in my platform to be able to give you results. And so if I can streamline that process of data ingestion, you've just kind of cut the time in half, hopefully. I think that's one. And then number two, is creating a product, you know, that may be extremely detailed for the customer. Uh, but at the same time, you've just got to show who your audience is, let's say the C suite, or the purchasing person at the company, here's the value that I can provide you very quickly, strategic planning. And that's one of the things they did, right, they showed you from a very high level strategic perspective, where can you save a lot of money and a lot of time. And so you know, sometimes it's part of that demo and part of that POC that really enables a customer to kind of have that aha.
0: Moment. Okay, so that because of the frequency you can now do these POCs, suddenly your pipeline can grow significantly bigger. In turn, you can actually drive exponential growth as opposed to needing to scale the number of humans that are going out there and doing these sales cycles. Got it, Correct. awesome. Yep. Well, I I think that's a lot to digest for people um, just in general in terms of like growth. So I'd like to kind of flip it back and take it a little bit more high level and understand a little bit more about what you guys are looking for with this new fund, your fourth fund, um, that has climate as part of it as well. What are those kind of things that you'd like to plug? Um, I'd love to give you guys the air, um, both of you, Tim and Emily, and you can put in storylines of things that you would like to see and... uh, the floor is basically yours to share share your opinions and uh, what you'd like to selflessly promote here.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, as we mentioned, in this $300 million fund, we're writing five to $15 million checks, mostly in series A and B companies. And we're focused on energy, mobility, industrial technology buildings and cybersecurity. So anything in those verticals is of interest or any horizontal solutions that have high relevance in those verticals is of interest. So that's pretty broad. Uh, when it comes to climate solutions, especially enabling climate solutions, some areas that we're interested, excited about, if you're starting a company or you know of anyone, um, we're we're interested in climate resilience and have looked at a, quite a bit in wildfire resilience, uh, vegetation management, insurance, etc. We're really interested in supply chain and logistics. We're interested in uh, financing solutions, whether it's for behind the meter, in front of the meter, uh, renewable energy or uh, PBA efficiencies, anything you know around f- financing to enable the deployment of renewables. We're interested in next generation of electrification. So what are interesting business models that go beyond uh, pass- electrifying passenger vehicles, but medium and heavy duty trucking, shipping and maritime or commercial fleets. Uh, so those are, I, I could go on. Those are just a couple areas of interest. But Tim, what else What else is uh, top of mind for you? Yeah,
2: yeah I think there, there's probably other, a couple other buckets. So one is, you know, as Emily mentioned, we have 22 of the world's larger you know, energy, automotive, water, and industrial companies. And so we're all trying to tackle a lot of the same issues here around climate. And so if it's a company that, you know, ABB or Audi or Duke Energy can be a customer of, that's another product or service that we will look at as well. Wow. And so, you know, we're we're constantly trying to see how can we enable our clients and all our LPs to solve big issues around, let's say, EV fleet management, right? We know there's a huge coming wave of EVs in this market. Well, you gotta think about the grid, you gotta think about where and when these cars will charge. And some some of these real problems are what our customers are trying to tackle. And so that means we're looking at EV fleet companies, we're looking at servicing companies, um that's across the board of what we're always looking for and then i think we're also looking global right so we're not just looking here in, in silicon valley or the bay area we're looking we've got portfolio companies in pittsburgh we've got companies in germany and in, in france and so we want to continue to look globally because we think um, especially with covid you know entrepreneurs are everywhere and and so from that perspective we have we pass a very wide net and want to enable anyone to to really come and, and seek funding from us.
0: That's awesome. I guess, uh, my last two or one with two part question is what would you say is the biggest reason a founder should reach out to you guys to have Wesley group on your guys cap table? And now that they're fully convinced, um, how would they best reach out, uh, to see if Wesley would be interested in their company?
2: you know i I think you know one of the things we we like to kind of pride ourselves as emily mentioned was that you know we really want to help our customers roll up our sleeves and be a natural extension uh, of your sales team right and so i think when when steve funded founded the firm he knew that there were already plenty of venture funds that have managing partners with phds who can help you on the technology side of things and i think for us if you are an entrepreneur or co-founding team that is seeking kind of sales and customer development work, or kind of regulatory help, uh, I think we are the fund to help you do that. Right? We really want to help uh, our customers and our investments really connect together. And I think it's important for us to be your natural extension of your sales team. So if that's what you're looking for. You're looking for you know, revenue in your company. Awesome. Come, come and
0: Emily, us. how would they best pitch you?
1: Yeah. If you if you want to hear more about the firm or meet someone from the investment team. Um, I think our emails are pretty accessible. So you can just shoot any of us an email. Uh, but also we have a uh, an, an info, a, a contact button on our website that you can email that goes is sort of a general email that goes uh, into our inbox. And we will make sure to get back to you and um, would love to hear more.
0: Awesome. Well, if uh, neither of you guys have anything else to add, I'm going to let you guys get back to finding the next big company. Um, especially in the climate space. And uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing your guys' experiences and knowledge on today's show. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring you guys back uh, after you guys have a couple of uh, successful winners out of your next fund.
1: You
2: got it.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much
1: for having me. Thank you very much. Take
2: care.
0: You bet.